You're listening to This and That with me, Angus Mitchell, a podcast series where I'll be talking to students and past students like everything about their dissertation and general uni experience. On this episode, I'll be talking to Ryan Beckerleg, a PhD student at Cardiff University, the title of his dissertation being Do Graduated Compression Stockings Work? We, in, in physics, they don't call it a dissertation. It's not known as that it's, it's a project and you write a report about the project. Right, so yeah, I it can feel that now, and my legs tingling a wee bit while you're saying that. Oh. A little bit. Well, I mean, it's you know, it, it doesn't necessarily happen all the time, and some way that we can go about fixing that is moving. I'm still in the so, air. So you didn't completely throw the product under the bus. You didn't have a lawsuit on your hands because you're saying, no, hey, this is a load of rubbish. That you could, you know, well, so you don't want me to put that in the podcast. Uh, not what I just said then. Um... <laughs> That'll be in the intro, definitely, at least. <laughs> You're listening to Dis and That. Hello, you are listening to episode eight of Dis and That. This time I am joined by Ryan Beckleg. Ryan, how are you? Hey, I'm good. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm good. How are you? Not too bad, not too bad. So, Ryan, do you want to introduce yourself? Who are you? What do you study? What are we going to be talking about today? Sure. Okay. So um, I'm Ryan. Uh, I am a PhD student here at Cardiff University. I currently study um, brain imaging, specialised specifically in brain imaging physics. Um, however, what we're going to be talking about today is my undergraduate dissertation, which I did oh, back years in... Years ago. Years ago. Yeah, 20, <laughs> 2018, I think it was. It was quite a while ago. Um, yeah, I, you know, I, can't, I can't talk too much about the PhD yet because I haven't finished it, so I haven't written the, the thesis. But yeah, we're going to talk about my dissertation, which was using ultrasound imaging to um, look at things called graduated compression stockings, which I'm sure we'll get on to in yeah, a bit. I'm, I'm excited to because it's funny because the other episodes I've done have been a bit more kind of humanities and arts, like a bit of history here and there, um, uh, liberal sciences. I think this is the first episode of this and that where it has been really heavy science, you know what I mean? But I love it. I'm a yeah. bit scared. I'm, I'm kind of tiptoeing into this. So you're going to have to hold me, hold my hand through the episode, I think. Um, so I'll, I'll virtually hold your hand. Yeah. <laughs> virtually. Yeah, we are socially distanced, of course, but um, yeah, virtually, virtually hold my hand. So the title, can you, so this is your, this isn't your PhD thesis we're going to be talking about today. This is your undergrad dissertation, which you did a few years ago. So we might have to get some references up just to, just to, you know, refresh yourself, but um, of course. go for it. So what was the title? So the title was, uh, do graduated compression stockings work? And for starters, let's, let's start really, really basic. Do you know what a graduated compression stocking is? I have no idea what that is. <laughs> okay, wicked. So they're effectively like socks or stockings that you wear on your legs. And the idea is, um, well, they're used to reduce things like deep vein thrombosis, which we'll talk a bit more in a second, about in a second. But the main aim of the thesis or the dissertation rather was to work out whether these things actually did anything and whether they did help with the reduction of deep vein thrombosis and whether they did promote blood flow like they suggest that they do on the package okay oh, that's so, interesting yeah. so so you've got a product that is very that, that says what it does on the packet i'm guessing and you're putting it to the test almost yeah effectively so we wanted to see whether they did work, whether they did promote blood flow. So basically I'll, I'll tell you a bit more about the idea of them. Effectively, the way that they work is they're kind of like bandages. You put them on your legs and they're quite tight. Okay, they get tighter at your ankle and then a bit less tight at the top of your legs. And the idea is they squeeze your legs and they squeeze your veins 
reducing the diameter of your veins and therefore the cross-sectional area of your veins. And that then is supposed to promote or increase the velocity of your blood. So for example, if you had a hose pipe, I know everyone's done this with a hose pipe, you've got a hose pipe and you squeezed it a bit or you put your thumb over the end of it and you reduce the diameter that water can flow through, it comes yep. out faster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, that's, it's the same idea really. If you squeeze a vein, because veins are, are, you know, they're a lot more flexible, you can squeeze them a lot easier. So if you squeeze a vein, you can reduce the diameter of the vein and therefore the cross-sectional area. And as a result, then increase the velocity. The velocity. Uh, well, that you've kind of made that make sense instantly. I don't know how many times you've had to explain that to people, but that I can <laughs> pick in a kind of gross way. I can now picture how by squeezing the vein, the blood shoots out like a like a um, hose pipe now. So thanks for that image in my head. But no, no that worries. does make sense. I, I, I can see why that would happen. Like obviously, the increase of pressure with decrease of size, uh, well, area. Um, so does it work? Well, I don't, I'm sure we're not there yet, <laughs> but I think, am I right in saying that these are the kind of same things that people used to wear on airplanes? I remember there was like those special socks that people used to wear on airplanes to, yeah. what, what was that about? So they, as far as I believe, they are also graduate compression stockings. They're, okay. they're things that you, sometimes they're given to you in hospitals and you know, they're, they're recommended um, to be used because there is some suggestion um, that they do help to uh, reduce deep vein thrombosis, which I'll tell you what deep vein thrombosis is now, actually, once I've gone to that first. So um, first thing, what do you know about your veins? Do you know anything your about veins? veins? Uh, they carry blood, I think, away from the heart. Is that correct? Other I know way. Other way, Other they way. carry blood, oh, they carry de deoxygenated blood to the heart. Exactly, so that then there it can go. be reoxygenated. So it goes through the heart, yeah. goes back to the lungs, gets oxygenated. By the um, so the way I was always yeah. taught that, yeah, the way I was taught it is the veins are the vey in to the heart. So they go back. Ah, to the heart. So it might be something okay. that you'll learn or remember. Uh, but basically, so your veins um, don't have as much pressure as arteries. So obviously the, the heart pumps the blood and pushes the arteries, increases the pressure in arteries. It's not really the case in veins. And especially in your lower limb veins, you can have something called pooling, which occurs. Which basically, it is as horrible as it sounds. Blood just sort of stays at the bottom oh, of your yikes. legs. Right. So yeah, I can feel that now in my legs tingling a wee bit while you're saying that. Oh, yeah, a little bit. Well, I mean, it's, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily happen all the time. And some way that we can go about fixing that is moving. So when you fidget, you, you know, the muscles that you have uh, are moving and contracting and the veins are, are in your body in a way that they're kind of surrounding these muscles. So when the muscles contract, they push the veins and push the blood up. Okay. And the veins also have these heart, uh, not heart valves, sorry, these valves in them which only allow blood flow to go one way. So as the blood pushes up, it will get caught by the, the valve and then it won't, go be, it won't be able to go back yeah, down. Yeah. So yeah. it continue to go up. So basically you squeeze it, it goes up. Kind of like a froob. You know froobs when you squeeze the bottom of them? Oh it up. God. Kind this like imagery, that. man. This imagery, yeah. No, but again, very accurate with the imagery, yeah. A froob being um, squeezed is like your vein being squeezed. Yeah, okay. kind of, kind of. So as I said, in, in your... Um, in your legs, you have the skeletal muscle pump, which is when you move around, when you run, when you walk, when you fidget, things like that. You're using your skeletal muscles and it's causing blood to move back up towards the heart. To avoid pooling. Um, yeah, to avoid pooling. Um, it doesn't always happen, but if you're stationary for a long amount of time, such as on an airplane, or if you're um, in, in a bed for a very long amount of time, for example, if you've just had an operation, you've got to stay in bed for like so many weeks. Um, you, you could get that because you're not really moving as much. You're not as active um, and that could happen. Not saying it will happen. Don't worry if you're going to play and you don't necessarily <laughs> oh, will God. have this problem. Yeah. But um, yeah, so 
basically when when that happens it could cause pooling um if you don't use your legs for a, for a long period of time now what deep vein thrombosis is is it's a condition that affects the veins deep within the legs okay so you have superficial and deep veins in your legs superficial veins are the ones closer to the surface deep veins are the ones further in um what effectively happens is a blood clot can form inside these veins and if that detaches from the vein it can travel around the body um, and if that goes to places like the lungs, that can cause something called a pulmonary embolism, um, which is very, very, very dangerous. We don't uh, want this not, to happen. Yeah. We don't want that to happen. No, exactly. Um, <clears throat> basically, blood clots are a normal process that happen in your body. Um, they're there to stop blood from flowing out of the body. So when you cut yourself, it will clot that part of the body. Yeah, and become a scab. The skin, rather. Yeah, and become a scab, which will stop the blood from being able to leave because um, otherwise you'd bleed out every time you cut yourself, right? So, and that's not great. Um, but this can happen in the deeper veins due to like trauma and things like that. And then these blood clots can form. If these blood clots can form, that is a deep vein thrombosis, if that makes sense. Okay. Um, like I said, they are, it's not a great con condition to have. Um, and there are ways we can fix it. So we can use things like, um, I believe, I'm just going to check on this before I do tell you this. Sure. Uh, da -da -da -da. <clears throat> I believe you can use... Uh, yeah, anticoagulants. That was the word I was looking for. So they're medicines that prevent blood clots from increasing in size. Um, and they basically work by altering proteins in the blood, preventing clots from forming easily in the future. So does that kind of like thin the blood out? Uh, I don't want to say yes. I'm not 100% okay. sure. Okay, But it, it stops um, the clotting via some scientific magic. <laughs> yeah, so it stops the coagulation, which I believe is the clotting. Okay. Agent. That's the thing that causes the clot, I think. But again, don't quote me on that. I'm not 100% sure. Right. Not right. an expert in, uh, not in, your, uh, not your in blood clots. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So I'm more of a physicist. I deal more with the physics side and measuring these things. Um, I was going to yeah, say, so because this, this, this does sound very medical. Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm assuming when we, because obviously you're just explaining the buzzwords at the moment. And when we get to the actual proper structure of your um, dissertation, we'll understand a bit more the physics behind why you're doing this. So... Some of the things that I've explained, I've left out the equations, which is the physics heavy part. But okay. I feel like equations are easier seen than said. And sure. obviously, this is a podcast. So I don't want to try and explain the equations. And then people get really scared about loads of letters and, and losing track. So yeah, that's probably where the more physics -y side of it would come in. And you know, the method of trying to measure this. And the reason that we did it was was um, a physics -y based reason. But also, I am a medical physicist, so I do deal more with medical related stuff than I do with physics related stuff. So I don't really look at space very often. I look at blood flow in the brain right now. Then I look to blood flow in the legs. But yeah, there you go. That's that's it's really fascinating. Just even that being able to break down physics between medical physics and space physics, you know, physics, I don't think is often applied to medicine in the kind of norm for everyday Joe talking about physics, it's not the first thing you think about is the medicine, but obviously physics is one of those things where it's like the laws of the land, you know, it's how everything works. So it can be applied to everything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. I think a lot of people do forget that. So most people in schools think of physics as I learn equations and it's electricity and Newton, and that's all they think of, but there's, there's so much more to it. So the whole, we're going off on a tangent a little bit here. Yeah. The whole side of medical physics is looking at making things safe. So for example, radiotherapy, there is a large amount of uh, medical physicists that work in that radiation protection. So they're the people that help to design the rooms that um, radiation is used in. So CT scanners, all those sorts of things. There are medical physicists there to make sure that they're safe and, and, and they work. 
and then obviously in all areas of imaging in uh, in in medicine so mri ultrasound uh, radio radio sort not radio radiation based methods so ct x-ray there's always a medical physicist somewhere in the department so if they're not in the hospital it's somewhere there yeah like you said we did go off on a bit of a tangent a nice yeah, tangent there, <laughs> uh, but um if we so Right. Should we get into your dissertation then? So we know why you're doing this then, because these these products, these stockings say that they prevent these blood clots, right, from from occurring. Yep. So how do you begin? How do you go about testing this? Okay. so first of all, we wanted to look at uh, both vein diameter and blood flow. Okay, so obviously, as, as I said, the idea behind the graduate compression stocking is that it decreases the diameter of the vein. So we wanted to test that. Does it actually increase the diameter of the vein as it's saying it does? Uh, so what we did was we took a healthy participant, which was myself um, <laughs> and, and my, my partner who I did this with. This was a two person project. Um, but yeah, so we basically measured uh, four places on our leg. So two above the knee, one behind the knee and one below the knee. Um, the diameter of the veins. Now, how did we do that is the question. We used ultrasound imaging. So have you heard of ultrasound imaging before? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Sick. It's the one that you have when you're looking for babies. Yeah, yeah. So that can be used as well. It's, it's non-invasive, so it means that you can use it without having to cut people up and look at things. But it allows you to look at um, vein diameter and blood flow in, in the body. And uh, I have a funny story about ultrasound, which I don't know if you want to know, but I will tell you tell anyway. Me, tell about- me, tell me the first day that I went up to the, the hospital to do this. So we were based in the Heath hospital and uh, went up to the hospital and we were learning how to use the ultrasound scanner because ultrasound is quite difficult to just grasp. It's very hard to get the hang of it at first. You've got to kind of have a soft touch, but you don't like, you'd think if you're looking at things deep in your body, you'd have to press really hard. Right. But you actually yeah. don't because you can squash your veins when you do that and you don't see cool. anything. Anyway. So we were practicing looking at our carotid arteries and carotid veins, which was really cool. But then later on that day, my supervisor was like, oh, we're going to look at the feral vein. Now, do you know what the feral vein is in the body? I don't. You're really uh, exposing <laughs> how bad I am at biology at the moment. <laughs> it's all right. Don't worry. I didn't at the time either. Um, and he basically was like, yeah, so the feral vein is kind of between your crotch and your hip. So okay. it's kind of on the inside of your leg. Okay. Right. Um, and he said the best, the best way to image the feral vein is quite high up on your leg. So like, you know just inside your hip okay sound didn't think of it inside of your leg rather and then he just went right okay have fun see you later and he closed the curtain and disappeared and then we kind of came across the realization bear in mind i didn't know the guy that i was working with that well at the time that in order to use ultrasound you need skin contact right so the probe has to touch the skin so i was kind of like wait we're gonna have to strip so i had to strip down to my boxes roll my boxes right the way up like as far up as they could possibly go while my friend who would well i say friend i'd not long met him got an ultrasound probe which you use with your hands and had to then put his the probe right next to my the inside of my leg it was very awkward it was one of those some serious ice breaking you know, <laughs> after that you knew you were going to do well in this dissertation like you'd gone yeah. you'd gone that far to get to know a guy <laughs> exactly right but um yeah so it's it's kind of a it's kind of a funny story that we had to do and he kind of completely just left us to it but it gets worse so as i told you ultrasound is quite difficult you you can't just run in and and learn how to do it straight away so he couldn't find my vein how long was he rubbing your inner thigh (laughs) it wasn't necessarily rubbing my inner thigh but um, he was yeah so he he was there for a good 15 minutes before he came to the realization that he couldn't find the feral vein 
and decided that he was going to go and get my supervisor who came into the room and had to then himself find oh, the feral vein geez. in my leg which was kind of awkward and I just remember he came in with some blue roll and he went oh just uh just put that like kind of in the way and I was like oh I've been exposed he's a professional, <laughs> I'm exposing. He's a professional. how much yeah. how much blue roll did he use that's the real question <laughs> <laughs> hey I can't just tell came with a little but... tissue <laughs> <laughs> but right. yeah so carry on yeah. anyway we'll move on we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it so yeah so basically we looked at these four positions on the leg so two above the knee one behind the knee and one just below the knee we looked at two different veins uh the great saphenous vein or the long saphenous vein which is a superficial vein and then we looked at the uh i can't remember what it's called it is the hang on posterior tibial vein that was the one that we, we used as well so that was the deeper vein that we looked at and basically um we looked at vein diameter. So we used two different positions, supine, which is lying down and seated. Got somebody to lie down. I say somebody, it was me. Um, we measured the vein diameter in the four places using the scanner. So you the can ultrasound. basically get an image. Yeah, using the ultrasound. So did you, you have to do this in the hospital, I'm guessing, every time? Yeah, so we were yeah. in the DVT clinic, the deep vein okay. thrombosis clinic. So, I mean, we could overhear some conversations which were quite... I don't know if we should have been able to, to hear those conversations, but yeah, just people complaining about two, things. Two and... lads in the hospital just borrowing the kit equipment. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so we were in the hospital. We got me to lie down, measured the four places on the leg. Um, and then we waited five minutes after we did that and then did another measurement with the stocking on. So the reason we waited five minutes was to wait for the veins to make sure in case we'd compress the veins, wait for them yeah, to yeah. come back to their original state. And then we did, I think, if I remember right, I think we did about eight repeats. Um, yeah, I think it was eight repeats. Um, when we were supine, it was the bed was slightly raised at about 30 degrees. Um, but I don't want to go too much into the details with you. Yeah, you had variables you had to take into account. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, and then we looked at the, the vein diameter. So when you do an ultrasound scan, you it basically just looks like a black dot on the screen effectively and then gray around it so the black dot was obviously the vein and then there's a little tool you can use on it where you can put basically like a, a caliper sort, sort of thing so you can measure the distance between the two and then make a note of that um so we did that for the great stuff in spain and like i said we did it eight times and then i think we must have come back multiple times to do it i was at the hospital all the time every <laughs> week um but yeah and then we also then repeated that then seated so we did the same thing just um no longer lying down we were now sitting up um to see if that makes a difference because obviously when you're sitting up your legs are bent rather than straight so that could have had an, an effect and, and things like that so yeah that was the main method there wasn't really much else to the method other than making those measurements of vein diameter yeah i was going to say because it sounds like once you've got those measurements and seeing the difference with the stocking on is that almost it? Like, how 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 does this work? Because obviously, I'm coming from a perspective of I'm currently doing my um, BA dissertation for archaeology. So, or, or as we've as people listening will have known by now, the amount of variance in dissertations is crazy. It's so cool. That's why I love doing the show. You know, people doing different yeah, subjects yeah. have a completely different experience when it comes to dissertations. Because uh, I should have asked you at the beginning, your dissertation. How did it like take shape? Is it kind of a um? just a research project like word count wise and things like this you know because obviously yours is much more maths based like how does that all work because it sounds like you're just about to tell me the answer of your dissertation <laughs> uh kind of yeah so we in in physics they don't call it a dissertation it's not known as the dis it's a project and you write a report about the project 
um, mine was 9,000 words. I think well, 9,100. I was just, I think I was just in the word count. I remember submitting it and I was like 30 words over or something stupid like that. And the system wouldn't let me submit it. So I just resubmitted God. it in Word. Yeah. Right. For some reason, by the way, <laughs> if you submit it as a Word document, the word count is less than if you submit it as a PDF. Don't ask me why. It was then. It might have changed. So I just cheated the system and submitted it as a, as a Word document and it went through. So that was hopefully fine. Not, hopefully not um, your professors are listening, but your PhD yeah, well, now is fine. <laughs> I've already got through it. They've given me the awards. So yeah, um, yeah it was 9,100 words. Um, and yeah, so the way that it works, once you've got your measurements, obviously can do a range of different things in physics that were people doing uh, simulation based stuff. I know my mate simulated galaxies and things like that, but that's all boring stuff. But um, <laughs> yeah, so once we had uh, collected the data, then we would do data analysis. So we'd look at statistical tests to see if it was accurate. Um, but we also didn't just look at vein diameter as well. We also looked at blood flow. Um, okay. And yeah, so we looked at the... Um, uh, posterior tibial vein, as I said, we looked at the blood flow in the posterior tibial vein. And again, to do that, we used ultrasound. Um, there are some pretty pictures, but again, this is a, this is a podcast. Well, maybe we'll be able to, pictures. if you, if you can get them to me somehow, I might be able to post them on my social so people can see it. It'd be quite nice. Cause I know you're yeah. great with your graphics. So if you have the time, it'd be quite cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Potentially. In, so how, how the hell do you measure blood flow? Cause obviously it seems quite obvious how you, well, how you've explained it now, measuring the diameter of the vein, but like actually measuring the blood flow in a live human, how does that work? So this was one of the main reasons we used ultrasound. Now, this might get a little bit physics-y, but okay. I can try it. and explain it, it That's what I want. Um, so basically, as I said before, ultrasound is mainly used because it's non-invasive and you get real-time images. So as you're looking at something, you will get a real-time picture as to what you're looking at. Yeah. which is great with things like CT, MRI, you've got to wait for it to finish and then you can't change things as easily, which is why it's good for measuring blood flow. It uses sound, which is too high pitched for the human ear to hear, the human ear, the human ear to hear. That's what yeah. I was trying to say. There you go. Um, <laughs> got there at the end. Um, yeah, so we'll skip all that bit. But one thing that it uses is this thing called the Doppler effect. Now, have you ever heard of the Doppler effect? For some reason, I recognize the name, but I feel like probably not. Okay, so again, the Doppler effect is very well described in an image. So I can try and get you the image, but I'll have to give you the reference because it was a referenced image. Um, but basically, you have two situations with Doppler. So those are stationary source moving observer and stationary observer moving source. Okay. The idea is in both of these situations, the sound waves will either change or you will interpret the sound waves differently. Okay. So in the case of the stationary source moving observer, the source would emit waves of frequency, let's say F0, and they will stay the same throughout. However, if the observer is initially stationary, they'll detect the sound waves as F0 again as normal. But once they begin to move, depending on which way they move, they will detect it either slightly lower or slightly higher. So the frequency would appear to change to them. Okay. Okay. And you can get an equation to calculate then the um, the new frequency using in that situation. So if you are a stationary source and your observer is moving, you can work out how they would interpret the waves based on how they move. You use things like the speed of sound and uh, the velocity of of uh, the, the the person moving as well. The second situation um, can be explained using an ambulance. So I'll explain that to you in a second. Okay. But 
it is the stationary observer moving source. Now, again, the uh, source would emit frequency is exactly the same of F0. So according to the source, everything's the same. But the observer is going to, again, detect those differently. Now, if the source moves closer to you, the sound waves will appear to get smaller and they'll, the, the wave fronts will be closer together, basically, and they'll, they'll sound higher pitched. Um, is that right? Will they sound higher pitched if they're closer together? I think so. And then if the observers move away from you, they'll sound lower pitch. Now that's why when you hear an ambulance coming past you, it seems to get higher oh, and then right. lower. It's yeah, the yeah, effect. Yeah. Okay. Um, so if you're stood still and an ambulance flies past you, that's why the sound seems to sound uh, weird as it goes past you. Yeah. Oh, but that's not the actual sound it's emitting. That's to do with the physics at play. Yeah, so the, the sound is, again, doo -doo -doo -doo, that noise, but yeah. as it gets closer to you, it sounds like it's getting yeah, higher yeah, pitched. Yeah, and then yeah, yeah, pitched. yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I think that's the way, you know, I think it's higher than lower. Um, and again, that can be, again, explained using an equation. And then you effectively combine these two equations and you get this big equation, which allows you to work out the Doppler shift. Okay. Um, so when measuring blood flow, both of these situations occur. So the first occurs when you're using the transducer, which is the Doppler probe, uh, not the Doppler probe, sorry, the ultrasound probe that you're using to measure. Uh, when that emits sound waves into the body, um, the transducer is stationary, but obviously your blood is moving. So you've got the stationary uh, source moving observer yep. um, situation. Um, but then when the echoes return, because the way that ultrasound works is it emits the sound and then it measures the time for the sound to come back. So it receives the sound as well. Yeah. So in the second situation, you then get a um, stationary observer because the blood is stationary in that situation where the, the echo comes back, moving source. So right? the, the Doppler probe, where's this on you? Or is this in the ultrasound Doppler machine? Probe. Yeah, so the, sorry, I didn't explain that very well. So you have an ultrasound scanner, which is kind of like a computer. Yeah. And then this has things called transducers and each transducer can be used for different things. Okay. And the, one of them is a- Doppler probes. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Got you. And then, or ultrasound probes rather. And then the one that you pick that you're going to use is the probe. And then you put that on the skin with some ultrasound gel. Yep. Um, and then wherever you are on the skin would be where your probe is. So it's and this on the is where it would have been on behind your leg in the yeah, same so place as you measured the yeah. diameter. Cool. And yeah. so do, again, did you do this um, before and then after the stockings were on? Yeah, so same situation. So um, we did it both lying down and seated. Yep. We measured the four situations. We measured the blood flow in each. Um, and then we repeated that five minutes after so that we could get give time give for rest. things to, to go back to what they would be at normal um, during rest and then did it again, yeah. And so really interesting. So in terms of method, I'm assuming, is that they, these are the two main methods to discover how much difference the stockings did, right? Yeah, so these are the two main methods that we implemented. So, so are, we ready, are we ready for results then? We can talk about results if you want. Yeah. Um, just so you're aware, just to put some context into it, there were 200 scans conducted. Um, so we did this 200 times in total. Um, wow. Yeah, um, on both for, for blood flow, there was only 192 for vein diameter. I can't remember why there was a difference in, in the two, but yeah. Um, yeah, we can talk about results. So where do you want to start is the question. Well, you tell me, how did it work in your dissertation? Did you apply, did you kind of compile all your um, research into one answer or was it kind of um, the stockings did this to the diameter but didn't change the flow or how does it work? Okay, so um, we kind of put it all into one thing for each subheading. So vein diameter had a result, blood flow had a result and then we did our conclusion 
concluding remarks about everything that we'd, we'd basically discovered. Well, let's go for um, it. Yeah. Okay. So I don't, I'm just going to check. I don't want to give you like loads of numbers and information. I'm trying <laughs> to check the most important stuff here. So That's the thing. I, I do. I, this is the thing with this kind of format podcast style, trying to keep it as not as simple, but with something that is so mathematical and physics heavy, we're gonna, I'm going to be interested to see what people think. Like, because you, you're doing a great job visualizing it all, and I, I feel like I'm actually just about keeping up to pace. And that's me with my last physics being in GCSE like years and years ago. You know, so I'm enjoying hey. this. So you're doing well. Um, so okay. I'll be interested to see how the results work, and if you're able to kind of get them get them across with your voice. Okay. Well. In my, in my report, I wrote a discussion. So I'll, I'll vaguely give you what I gave in the discussion because obviously that kind of summarizes everything yeah. whereas the results just outlines everything and you know sure. everything. So sure. um, yeah, so we, we noticed when the stocking was put on, there was an obvious decrease in vein diameter in the supine position. Um, and as mentioned previously, uh, the purpose of this or the purpose of GCS is to do that. So we were like, oh, this is great. This, this is working. You know, this, is, this is amazing. Um, however, we did know that this wasn't within error. So there was kind of an issue because our error measurements suggested that this was in the error. So it wasn't necessarily significant. Significant and, enough. Yeah. Yeah. And what, what we detected could have been due to error. It may not be that that is the actual result, which is a big thing in, in science and physics. Errors always come into play and you've always got to consider, is this actually groundbreaking or have I just messed up somewhere along the lines? And this is kind of similar and you have to take into account every source of error that you can think of. Luckily, in the human body, there's so much variation that a lot of the error comes from human body variation rather than measurements and stuff. Sure. Um, anyway, so yeah, so so we did notice that, but we also saw that it was kind of within error um, and potentially isn't anything to, to talk home about. Um, in fact, sorry, I'm just going to skip down to my conclusion because it'd be easy to go from there. Um, yeah, so as sorry, I said, just for the sorry. Just edit. That's just for yeah, the edit. Yeah, sorry. It's my bad. I, uh, I really oh, should have read a bit more of this, but uh, okay. Uh, so, yeah, so as I said, it was noted that we had an obvious decrease in vein diameter initially. Again, on further inspection, um, it was found that this wasn't with an error. And so they're inconclusive. You would basically need to redo this and look a bit further to, to find out if that's, if that's actually an um, important thing to note, basically. Yep. Um, we also did statistical analysis where we looked at t-tests and we compared whether these are statistically relevant or not. Um, and we, we found from the statistical uh, test that the error was irrelevant and therefore it didn't really show anything. Oh, um, how does that yeah, feel? Like just... kind of, because obviously it's not on you guys, you know, but it's just the kind of Achilles heel of science that they care so much about the valid, the validity of results that error has to be such an important role in your results. So how, how did you like, did it affect marks or anyway? Again, we have to explain how a kind of science dissertation works, not dissertation, thesis, project, whatever you called it. Um, yeah. Because it's not your fault, you know, if anything, you've done a good job in highlighting the errors that were at play. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I mean, so for science and physics, especially physics, I can't talk for all sciences, but for dissertations and projects in physics, they want you to have done research 
if you find that there is nothing and this is completely, you know, you spent a year doing something that doesn't really show you anything amazing, it's still research. You've still done the method. You've still done the analysis. You've done the stats. You know, you've done all of the, the methods. So from that point of view, you wouldn't lose marks. Um, I didn't lose marks. I think in the end, I got about 88 in this. Wow. Which was pretty good. That's unbelievable. Um, Congrats. Yeah, which I was kind of shocked at. I, I was Explains why that. I'm talking to a PhD student now. <laughs> Well, um, cheers. But uh, yeah, so um, yeah, so it didn't affect my marks in any way. Um, the marks were the same as what I would have been had I found that these things were groundbreaking and the best things since sliced bread. You got to remember, though, I was quite a young student. I was only my third year, so I was you know your age. And at the time, you know, if if I'd have said, "Oh yeah, this is amazing," and tried to publish it, people may not have taken it as seriously and you know i'd have probably needed to do more research and a lot more effort because i didn't spend that much time on this project in total um in physics you start in like october and then you have to submit it by march april time so you only oh, do right. eight months and obviously a large amount of that is christmas so yeah so it doesn't really affect the overall mark if you don't find a result and to be honest the point of this was to check if they work we didn't say at the start we think they'll work we didn't say yeah. that we didn't think they would work in fact my supervisor told me at the end of my research that he didn't think they worked and he's done this project for years he repeats the project every two years or something like that and everyone that he'd had had found they didn't work so oh, really? to be honest the fact that we found that they weren't that great kind of for me was a good thing because it was like oh i've validated other people's stuff yeah 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 um, so were, but you, you do need the hypothesis right at the beginning because I've done a little bit of science that I know you have your aim where you've obviously your aim was to discover if they worked, but then your hypothesis, I'm sure you, did you have to say whether they would or not? What was your hypothesis? Um, we didn't say whether we thought they would work or not. Okay. Um, we didn't have a conclusive hypothesis for it. We, I don't think you always have to come in with a, I think this is going to happen. Situation. This is coming from a, a very boring GCSE <laughs> jumping through hoops, to be fair. So I might be, I'm probably completely wrong. It sounds like. <laughs> uh, no, not necessarily. I mean, a lot of people do have a hy hypothesis, which, you know, force it, not forces them, which pushes them to look at something specific. Mm. Um, and maybe that's why my supervisor gave this project. It was when I did it, there was just a list of projects and I picked the one that sounded the coolest. And I thought, oh, this is interesting. I get to play with an ultrasound scanner. I yeah. get to measure vein. It does sound fun. Like that. So yeah, it was interesting. I didn't personally have a hypothesis. Potentially he did um, because he set up the project. And yeah. when you're trying to set up something big like that, you know, but I think if you have an idea as to what something is and how it would work and to find out if it does do what it says it does, then I suppose that would count as your hypothesis as well. Yeah. I, I suppose the hypothesis is, you know, we suggest we, would originally have thought that they work because manufacturers tell you that they work. Yeah, that's and the thing. in our yeah, and like in our literature review, we did find that there is a reduction in cases of DVT. I think it was by DVT's deep vein thrombosis, by the way. Um, I think it was by. Let me just find the exact number. Two seconds. Yeah, I think we found that uh, many papers previously to this found that GCS graduate compression stockings. Uh, reduce the risk of post-operative deep vein thrombosis by about 60%. So, oh, wow. you know, other people have suggested that this does help and it yeah. does do things, but in the space that it decreases vein diameter significantly, we found that it doesn't. I'm still in the so, air. So you didn't completely throw the product under the bus. You didn't have a lawsuit on your hands because you're saying, no, hey, this is a load of rubbish that you could, you know, but um, you, yeah. your, your results did show that it was a bit inconclusive. 
Yeah, so that was vein diameter. So we didn't really find anything significant um, in superficial veins. In deep veins, again, um, we didn't really find much. We found that the use of them did cause blood velocity to slow. Um, and again, this was, again, invalidated by error, which is really sad. Um, but um, yeah, overall, we kind of found that they didn't work. Okay. However, one thing that you need to know, one thing that is really important to realize with this is the people that we were um, doing the, the, you know, the experiment on, me and my partner, were yep. both early 20s, healthy, young, guys, healthy. Yeah. Um, we had no history of any form of DBT. So, okay, it didn't really do much to us, but it's not maybe for it you. would for, yeah. yeah, maybe it would for a clinical population, potentially. Um, also, these things are made to are meant to be made to measure. So you buy ones that are measured to you. We didn't do that. We were given bog standard brand uh, uh, GCS graduate compressor stockings, which fit and they are quite tight. They feel quite tight on your legs. Um, but again, they weren't made to measure. They weren't specifically made for me. So if we were using ones that were made to measure, potentially they would work better than the ones that we used. Um, yeah. And also, there are lots of different brands, lots of different materials that are used in these. A lot, a lot of variables going into it, aren't there? But I think, well, you definitely, what was it, 200 times you've done the test. So it's not like you completely kind of just like wishy-washied it and just kind of found some bog standard results. You definitely did put the hours in and used all the tech you could. And to be honest, sitting here as a doing my dissertation itself, which is very much book-based and kind of just sitting on my laptop doing it, I'm pretty jealous of you just being able to go to the hospital, use your ultrasound. Obviously a lot of hard work went into this, but it is really yeah. fascinating to hear. And I'm I'm really glad I got you on this to talk about it. Um, it so yeah, it's been really good. Cheers, mate. Cheers. Yeah, so the only other thing that I want to say really quick about this, sorry, yeah. I know you were concluding, I just want to say very quickly. Yeah, no, um, As I said, we could have been wearing them too tight, too loose, blah, blah, blah. But also... To, in order to actually, I had this in the bottom of my my conclusion just to to make it sure that I wasn't saying anything conclusively. But um, to fully understand these, you know, you'd need to do further research. We didn't. We only spent three or four months in total on this, um, which is a fair amount of time. But you know, people spend hours and yeah. hours and hours doing these things, so potentially more time would be needed um, to understand exactly what it is, and also depend on the brand and, and things like that. So, yeah, a lot of variables to be put into play, but. All in all, a great project with 88 for your dissertation. That's the highest I've ever heard someone get in their dissertation. So oh, fantastic, fantastic work. Um, I can see why you wanted to talk about it. And I think you've done a really good job. Even though it was, it was a couple of years ago, you had to reference it a few times. It's still clearly in there. I've definitely learned something, which is like the point in, it, from a very kind of selfish point of view, this is the point of doing this podcast series because I just love learning, you know? And um, I think... And yeah. like I said at the beginning, Definitely. I was a bit, I was a bit nervous going into this, you know, I wouldn't be able to kind of, kind of come in with conversational rhetoric because I don't know a thing what's going on, but um, I think you taught <laughs> me really well and I've definitely learned this and I can talk to my, talk to my mates about graduation, what graduation. GCS, GCS, graduation compression, graduated stockings. compression stockings. That's the one. Yeah. There, you go. <laughs> there you go. So thank you so much, Ryan. Um, really enjoyed that. No worries. All right. And, uh, Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, all right. See you then, Ryan. Bye. See ya. You've been listening to Dis and That. All other episodes are available via Spotify and other podcast streaming services. Make sure to follow Express Chill on Instagram for any updates.